Hi, my name is Sam Sheen, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Mary Lundberg, and this is our podcast, Captivated Audience. Today's guest comes to you from Tooting, England. Marie, take it away. Thank you, Sam. It is a pleasure to welcome Vincent White to Captivated Audience. Hi, Vincent. How are you doing today? Hi, Marie. I'm doing well, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do for a living and what kind of company you work for? Sure. I am working for a company called Facepoint, a tech company based in Paris, France. It's doing some very exciting new evolution of screening using biometrics. For the uninitiated, Vincent, can you give us a really easy description as to what exactly biometrics are? Biometrics is any characteristic of the human body that can be used for identification purposes. So in our case, that is facial recognition, but it also includes the earliest forms, which are fingerprinting, to sort of modern, very unique characteristics, such as each individual's DNA. The use of facial recognition, some of us are quite familiar with it since it's being used for unlocking your smartphone tablets. Are we talking about the same kind of technology here or is it more advanced? It's exactly that. And I think it probably not many people are aware of the leaps and bounds and the progress in the technology that have brought us to the present day where we have, as you say, a sort of mass adoption in terms of people are very familiar with biometrics, unlocking their smartphones or going through security customs at an airport now. What we are doing is essentially the very same process change or the development in the last five years has been threefold. Firstly, to overcome a lot of the limitations of facial recognition in the past, there were problems in terms of biases, which resulted from poor training of algorithms. But the real step change has come from the branch of uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence. It's come from convolutional neural net but that is essentially the ways in which facial recognition can now cope with very poor quality source images. Uh, so if you have people with poorly illuminated or they're taking a picture from a different angle, this was classically a problem with CCTV. So those problems have been resolved so we can get very good successful matching results, even though we don't have uh, particularly good in input data. Vincent, the use of biometrics for identity purposes and for KYC purposes, are we to see this way as a complement to existing methods or is the ultimate game here to replace those older, perhaps not very efficient methods? Ultimately, that is the end game. And, and I speak as someone who has been, you know, immersed in that world of alphanumeric data for the best part of 15 years. And while there have been important incremental improvements to deal with all of the vagaries of different languages and all the problems you get from transliteration, translation and syntax variation, there's only so much you can do. And, and I'm sorry to say it's very much a, a busted flush. Now we have a, a method which is far superior in terms of the matching process itself. And we measure that in, in the jargon in terms of precision and recall. And it's far superior simply because there's more information in the face than the name. There's more uniqueness. Now we've already seen how facial recognition has become prevalent in identity verification. That's the first step of, of the KYC process. The fact that we haven't joined the process is that's the next thing to do. So what we're doing is simply pushing that boundary and saying, we have the technology now. It works very well for identity verification. Surely we should be doing this for screening in general. People change. People change their appearances, some by plastic surgery, minor enhancements, tattoos, removal of birthmarks, or carefully applied contouring makeup. I wonder, will those kind of changes affect a biometrics tool? 
no, well, there's a number of points you raised there. So first of all, and this again is one of the things that has been uh, dealt with in terms of the improvements in biometrics, the things that people used to use to dissemble or to conceal their appearance from the basic, you know, using a disguise, wearing a pair of glasses, having a beard, to the more extreme cosmetic surgeries, changing appearance of the individual surgically, those things can all be dealt with. And in other words, you can't fool the, the biometrics. And the reason for that is, is because what the biometric matching process is doing is extracting the key points on the structure of the face. So when you have cosmetic surgery, you might be doing things which superficially seem radical and very different. You're not actually changing the dimensions of the face itself. You can't change distance between the eyes, for example. But there are efforts to uh, confound identification. And sometimes there are good reasons for that and sometimes various reasons. And so there have been various techniques, one of which in terms of makeup is, is putting on make makeup asymmetrically. Doesn't make you look the most attractive. There are constant attempts to try and fool the technology. Uh, but as I said, it's orders of magnitude superior than it, it was only five years ago. I must say that this is all quite fascinating. I fully respect, Vincent, that you cannot give us too much detail on how your technology actually works. But I wonder, can you give us a few examples on when it has been used and what the purpose was for it? The main use case for the FacePoint tool is in the context of, of AML and CFT. We're dealing with the sort of pedestrian day-to-day -day cases of identifying peps and people who not, might not necessarily have anything untoward or risky uh, about them in terms of criminal activity. But at the sharp end, uh, we do work closely with law enforcement and intelligence agencies and we simply have a, a very productive and collaborative relationship because we have such a vast amount of data that they don't necessarily have. We have been instrumental in assisting them with a few live cases where individuals who were European-based had actually been leave, living a double life and been active in other parts of the world in various terrorist organizations. Very heartening to know that we can make a difference in that context as well. It sounds all very Mission Impossible-like, Vincent. How many images do you think you have so far in your store that you compare against? Well, we have probably just over 3 million images. So we have a, a multiple number of images per individual. And that's very important for the matching process. To your earlier question in terms of how people change their physiognomy deliberately, whether that's in a sort of superficial or a surgical way, what we have to contend with, and then that's a, another area where the biometrics is delivering superior performance these days compared to a few years ago is the natural process of aging. There are going to be changes in everyone, unfortunately, as we age. It's very important to be able to still identify sort of through the ravages of time that the individual is indeed the same person. And we have some, some very good examples where we can take a picture of a famous politician or a financial criminal as a child and still find a true positive match 40 or 50 years later. Sorry for throwing in another acronym here. When it comes down to data protection, GDPR, how do you navigate through that while using your technology? It's a really very important piece of, of legislation and long overdue. And I regard it very much like other, some other regulations. It's catching up with the rapid development of progress in the world since the digital revolution. It's long overdue in the sense that it's necessary to address lots of the ways in which the, the modern world works. It may be perceived by some as being unduly onerous, but this is very much redressing the balance between the rights of the individual and big corporates. To us as a company, it's something that we are extremely uh, mindful of and like any company, we want to 
work lawfully within the bounds of this regulation, but it's of particular relevance to us because we are operating a business that processes sensitive personal data. Now, there are a few misconceptions about GDPR, one of which I come across very frequently is the rights to be forgotten, the rights to object, the various rights that actually precede the GDPR and were, have been around for several years. What we are doing with the alphanumeric providers, they are also processing biometric data in those situations where they have a profile picture within a record. So they focus on the names, dates of births, places of birth as the defining identity characteristics. They include an image. They're not using that image for matching, but they're still processing that data. I make that point simply to say that there is a slightly an understandable overreaction or hysteria about this concept of having a database of individual faces. To allay those fears, I would only say that there are different use cases and those cases that are clearly defined and where the purpose is for crime prevention, fighting financial crime and terrorism, that's a very different proposition and should be considered as such relative to some less savoury processing of, of people's faces for some broader open-ended purpose. You mentioned sensitive data. Keeping that data secured and safeguarded is a priority, I imagine. Absolutely. And I think you see the same thing, even though we have mass adoption. We mentioned the uh, unlock your smartphone with your face. But people have those concerns when they're making, say, micropayments, they're using one of the, any of the challenger services on their phones. And they're, they're wondering, oh, is the selfie picture that I'm using to uh, authorize this payment? Where's that going? Where's that being stored? And those are valid concerns. And that's why, as part of the GDPR regime, there is a significant emphasis on onus on firms being not just completely transparent, uh, you know, laying out in great detail where, what, why uh, is happening with each individual's data, but also that they are producing detailed, thorough, and above all, honest data protection impact assessments, which can ultimately be scrutinized by the relevant information uh, regulator in order to evidence that they have argumentation to justify uh, doing what they do. It's, again, I guess, a misconception that many businesses have wrestled with GDPR or looked into it in a perhaps not too uh, detailed fashion and have just come up with a, a small text to say, we're invoking legitimate interests to do what we do. And of course, in order to be in the spirit of the regulation, that certainly doesn't pass muster. I can also see you, though, having the opportunity, particularly around say, fintechs or payment processors, where they may have people where the same identity has been misused over and over again, but just due to sheer volumes, they may not have picked up. There are similarities in the images of the IDs used. Absolutely. And that's another a nice sort of spin-off that it, not only can you compare images against the FacePoint database, you can also do an internal comparison and spot duplicates. So those are individuals who have the same face, but are masquerading under multiple identities. Now, there are a number of reasons why people might do that. It could be uh, social security fraud or tax evasion, but all of those reasons are going to be uh, criminal in some shape or form. And on that note, thank you very much, Vincent, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with Sam and myself. It's been fascinating. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap for Captivated Audience. If you want to do as Vincent and partake, or if you have some really interesting topics you would like us to discuss, please drop us a line on captivatedaudience.eu or look us up on our new LinkedIn page, Captivated Audience. Until next time, thank you and stay safe.